Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Pisano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday night segment of The Outer Realm. We are broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, and 105.3 FM from New Orleans. We are fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee, who have been on our journey since the very beginning. So thank you, Folgers. We appreciate you so very much. Also, tremendous gratitude for our sponsorship and the contribution of... Justin Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snick, sorry, tongue-tied, the sonic surgeon, who's an award-winning composer of Halloween horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, most which can be found on Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, you name it. Also, big thank you to Steve McGinnis, who is the man behind our artwork. So thank you, thank you. Tonight, the Outer Realm welcomes back Scott McClelland of Diablo Manor, who will be picking up where he left off in the last segment and is going to be sharing some of his paranormal experiences with us. So another great segment to check out. And here is the man. Hello. How are you? Good evening, Michelle. How are you? I am well. I am well. So happy to have you back. I had so much fun the last time you were on and found you extremely intriguing. Everything you do to me is intriguing. And it was a treat to find out about your family history, which was like a a wow factor because it was so much things that we, you know, we all think we know so much about, um, especially as we're all you know, I, I would take partake in, in many of, of, of midways as they call them in our day and, and so on. And not really getting a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, like some of the things that your family was responsible for and how far back it actually went and so on. So I would like to, if it's okay with you, since I'm sure there's a lot of people who were not able to tune in or who may have just found us shame on you if you just found us now but anyway (laughs) um let's maybe just catch them up and um bring them up to speed so i will let you take it away well thank you my dear Um, my family has been running uh large carnivals and freak shows for the past 104 years this is uh what we do my grandfather ran a large sideshow and freak show from 1920 through 1968 and he toured throughout the united states and canada now he also had a carnival where he invented most of the rides that were on it and he was a rather interesting man they called him the brain from the ukraine because the fact that he was so brilliant at reinventing ideas that um were once maybe fun but now they were super awesome. And that's what grandfather did. Uh, Just for instance, uh, he, uh, back back in the day, Ferris wheels were created by the Ferris company. And uh, the Ferris company was out of Germany and they basically made their Ferris wheels upright and shipped them 
overseas. And then when you finally got them into the prairies and you were traveling them upright, sometimes the winds would hit them pretty hard and they'd uh, basically uh, blow over and splinter into basically nothing. Wow. And my grandfather thought this was absurd. So he invented the very first collapsible Ferris wheel that could be moved on a trailer base, which was the advent of trailer-based rides. Now, wow. he was an equestrian rider. And so when he was young, he was watching a merry-go-round and the horses on the merry-go-round would just go in circles. And between each horse would be, of course, a love seat for the parents to sit on, etc. And uh, he was looking at the horses, thinking to himself, you know, if I was a child on one of these horses, I'd want to feel the horse beneath me because he was mm -hmm. a lover of uh, riding. And so mm -hmm. he invented the step mechanism that makes the horses go up and down on the merry-go-round, wow. which was wow. the advent of the bobbing horse merry-go-round. All the little things that we know and love to this very day. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, uh, another one of his uh, inventions is uh, quite popular, mostly in the United States, uh, because of the fact that it uh, was, um, well, to simply put it, it's the teacup ride at Disneyland. Wow. He invented yes. the idea of the teacup ride first as a flying saucer ride, but the center wheel that you would turn in the teacup ride to make it go faster or slower while you were going in big circles uh, mm. was his idea. And wow. so he, uh, he created this because he wanted to uh, make it a lot more fun than just going in a big circle in a teacup. You can now go in circles while you're going in circles. And why oh, make it as crazy God, as know. possible? Because you can actually change the speed by just pushing the wheel. And right. uh, he, he was a thoughtful man. He actually drilled <laughs> holes in the seat. And many people ask me why he would have drilled holes in the seat of these little um, the teacups. And it's because uh, the children would sometimes puke and there was right, no, exactly. no good way of cleaning it except if you had holes in the seat. So you could take a bucket of water, slosh it into the teacup, and boom, there you go. It's clean again. Oh, All the, sure. Uh, puke would be throwing them. out the little holes. Isn't that nice? It was nice and thoughtful. I'm sure he was cursed along the way by the odd oh, parent. I'm sure he was, <laughs> but you know, the kids loved it. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. It must have been so much fun. You know, people dream of running away to the circus and living this extraordinary bohemian type of life. It must have been quite exciting for your family growing up in this environment. It was it was a very uh, bohemian lifestyle. They were on the road most of their life. Uh, mm -hmm. My grandfather uh, had nine children. Now, here's mm -hmm. the thing. Back then, much like in uh, certain circus families even today, mm -hmm. uh, parents would have kids to actually train and become a part of the act. And that's exactly what grandfather did. He actually had nine kids that he could train into singing and dancing and doing uh, comedy and playing musical instruments. And now he didn't have to pay them. He just had to feed them and house them. And uh, that was the old way of doing things. <laughs> now, was. my mom was the youngest person in the family. And mm -hmm. so instead of being trained to uh, be a performer in the show, my mom was, uh, well, she worked the games and also was known to, uh, well, train the monkeys, the tigers, and the bears, etc. And nice. so ultimately, uh, that, was, that was her vocation. But at a mm -hmm. very early age, before she actually got to work on Grandfather's Carnival, uh, she got to sit backstage while mom worked. And my grandfather performed what we call in the uh, old industry, Grand Guignol Theatre. 
Now, Grand Guignol Theater is a, uh, a Parisian type of theater that is based on morality plays. And right. ultimately, what takes place is there's a lot of bloodletting and war right. on stage. It's kind of like a Toby Hooper film on, on stage way back <laughs> in the day. And uh, of course, all the blood is fake. But uh, my mom would have to watch her mother die three mm. times a day. That'd be hard for a child. And so for a four or five-year-old child, that is a bit hard, I yeah. must admit. But uh, yeah. in, in, her, in, in her mind, even as a child, she understood that what they were doing wasn't real because by supper time, mom was already cr uh, cooking up pierogies and kubasa for everybody. And, you know, right. sure that everybody was well-fed. So obviously mom was okay. Or a superwoman or a zombie. One of the three. So One of the I, three, yeah. You know, <laughs> I just coast along. <laughs> And how about for young Scott? Well, um, at the age of 11, I received a letter from my grandfather uh, stating that whenever you come to our carnival, you always have a group of people around you because you're such a ham. Right. Have you ever thought of becoming a magician like me? Well, I was mm. like, hmm, fuck yeah, I'm 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. Who would want to become a magician? Right. But then I read further, and it stated that if I wanted to become a magician, I had to learn the oldest piece of magic known to mankind. Right. It was called the Cups and Balls. Now, this had been dur uh, performed during the Ming Dynasty for the pharaohs in Egypt, even for the kings and queens of Europe. Mm -hmm. It's been all over the world, and it's been around for over 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. Now, he gave me six months to learn how to perform the Cups and Balls. Mm -hmm. And he said, if after that six months, when I performed it for him, I did not fool his eye, I would never work in the industry. Hmm. And so wow. I had basically uh, <laughs> uh, six months to really, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and uh, prove myself. The day came, we were in his kitchen and he said, boy, perform for me. And I finally performed the cups and balls. And thank God I fooled his eye because I became that year a professional magician. And by the wow. time 1978 rolled around, I was already producing my own shows at the age of 12. And I was touring with the Calgary Stampede, Edmonton's Klondike Days, and Regina's Buffalo Days. And I had my own uh, small TV special on CBC that same year. So these wow. things all happened all at once, and my career just built from there. That's quite exciting. That's yeah. quite exciting. So how did that affect school? I mean, well, at 12 my, years old, you're on the road. <laughs> thank you for asking that. My teachers okay. actually... Um, well, they, they understood that I came from a circus family, a carnival yeah. family that performed. And right. um, they would allow me to actually go and do these shows if they were on contract. And I had to, of course, miss school. Of course, I'd have to make up for it. But yes. my parents would sometimes put me uh, on... Uh, train cars and in buses with a note in my pocket because I was only 11 or 12 years old right. and it would say my name is Scott McClellan make sure I get to this place at this time and that I'm uh, on stage at this time and so ultimately I'd be carrying my uh, my gear and my costume and I'd just be sent on my way and that's wow, uh, this is crazy different times though you, you could actually it, you know it was a trusting thing like I don't think you could get yeah. away with something like that now well, exactly. But the thing is, is these contracts were big and um, yeah. the people that I was going to were trusted. You know, it was right. it was right. it was a, a rather exciting time period. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, I I was very lucky 
and yeah. I know that I live a charmed life. I was very lucky to mm -hmm. apprentice under my grandfather because I spent my formative years apprenticing under him from the age of 11 through 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's like hands-on protege, basically, right? Yes. That's Wow. Fantastic. So we fast forward into adulthood. And as I do remember Carnival Diablo. I remember it quite well, yes. actually. You know, and I remember seeing the trailers. Like, oh, there he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what I remember uh, finding really interesting is I remember seeing it at a certain place in Toronto. This is, we're going to start getting a little bit into spooky stuff now. Um, because I was doing an article for Toronto Life magazine and we were brought to this very interesting looking building and I remember thinking oh this is really interesting if the trailer is outside <laughs> so anyway didn't think about it much beyond that but what an amazing place and um before we get to that I want to I just want to let everybody know get ready for that because you're going to want to hear all about that one um but um being younger, having these big families, um, living all over the place, um, paranormal experiences. You had to have had paranormal experiences traveling well, all, everywhere. I, and... it, it, strangely, my, my first paranormal experience had nothing to do with my grandfather's side of the family that ran a carnival. It was my other right. grandfather's side of the family. Okay. Uh, my grandfather, McClelland, uh, who is my dad's father, was mm -hmm. a Queen's Bench judge. And um, when we had fa family gatherings at his place, uh, th there was a lot of people that would come to the house. Like this is in the late 60s, early, early 70s. And mm -hmm. um, because there was so many people coming to the house, there wasn't enough bedrooms for everybody. So some people stayed on couches. But because I was the uh, oldest child in my family, I was allotted the basement on a cot. Nice. And uh, <laughs> nice. So, yeah. yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. And, it is. and I, I wasn't really scared of the dark or anything. I didn't have that kind of problem as a child. Right. Uh, so I, I slept in the basement. But what happened was one night uh, I was I was laying in bed. It must have been around 1130 in the evening. Um, I had probably been laying there since nine o'clock in the evening, just mm. kind of like enjoying the ambiance upstairs because, you know, you could hear the parents, you know, uh, tittering and laughing and enjoying, you know, their game of canasta or whatever the hell right. they were doing upstairs. Every and, family um, had to do the canasta. You know, yeah, was it no was different. bridge or canasta. What the hell? I don't I know. these days. Who plays that? But um, back then that was very popular. So, you know, mm -hmm. I hear that, but um, there was a point uh, at around 11 in the evening where I, I heard the voices still and it was, you know, it sounded like everybody was was having a great time upstairs. Mm -hmm. uh, what I discovered the next morning was my parents and everyone had gone to bed at 10. And mm -hmm. so at 11 o'clock when I was hearing these voices, these weren't my family. I was actually hearing other voices, voices from beyond the realm. And uh, I, without thinking, because I wasn't scared, uh, was okay with this. And it was very strange and very, uh, very surreal because once I made the realization, because I was, I was a kid, I was only nine when this took place, um, I was in the basement and I was listening to laughter and voices from a completely different dimensional plane. 
Hmm. And uh, it wasn't my family. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, uh, I don't know if it was uh, good or malevolent. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, mm -hmm. But that was my very, very first experience and with paranormal activity. Exactly. How old were you? How old were you? I was About nine. Nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It broke you in nice and early. <laughs> yes. Well, finally, uh, by the time I was 17, uh, 16, I should say, um, mm. when I was 16, uh, my friend Charles Porlier, who is uh, known as a very famous makeup artist now and special effects artist in Hollywood, he, uh, he was the uh, makeup artist for Christopher Reeve, who was in Superman, uh, for all the time that he was alive, and right. also did uh, all the special effects and everything for 13 Ghosts and uh, Ghost yeah, Ship and a movie. few other great Hollywood I love that movie movies. too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, those One are well done. Kill scenes ever. Um, yeah. But that being said, uh, Charles contacted me when I was 16. He was at the time 21. He was a few years older than me. He knew I loved horror. And he had contacted me and he said, Scott, I'm making a haunted house. And I want you to be involved with me to help me build it. And so uh, I apprenticed under Charles Poirier in learning how to make corpses and uh, how to do the uh, illusionary special effects that were needed to bring this place to life. And it was called the Cane Manor. Now, what it was, was a large, uh, well, a manor of sorts, a mansion, where mm -hmm. a butler would take you on a tour of the place, but the butler uh, did not want you there because, you see, there was a for sale sign outside of the house. And the backstory was, basically, uh, the house had gone up, by, up for sale because of the government, because right. the owners had passed on, right. and the butler was still living there. So right. he didn't want the house sold, and he decided to kill anybody that came in. So you were being taken through the house by a psychopath. Nice. And um, I played the butler. I see. Now, the thing was, is we had a makeup room. Uh, the kitchen had been turned completely into a large black maze. So we right. gutted the kitchen, and it became these little tiny uh, hallways that you know, would make you completely like disoriented. But mm -hmm. our makeup room was in the floor. So there's, you know, those old um, floor uh, hinged doors yes. that would take you to the basement. Yes. There was one of those in the floor. So I, I was probably a week into doing the Cane Manor that, at this point. And I opened up the door and there was a light on downstairs. I could hear voices down there talking. I was pretty sure that other people were still uh, getting their makeup on, which means I wasn't that late because I was afraid <laughs> I was late. And I got downstairs, and when I got to the bottom stair, I noted there was nobody in the basement, and all the sound stopped completely. Mm. Well, I turned on my heel and started running up the stairs, and as I started running up the stairs, right behind me, like right behind me, was the sound of footsteps. And because I was walk running up into the maze, it was already mm. pitch black, I had to run through the maze with these footsteps behind me. I couldn't see a thing. And it exited out into the living room, uh, which was done up like a Victorian living room. Well, I, I, uh, I come running out and I'm, I'm in a panic. And Charles is sitting there and he goes, you're late. And I go, I'm sorry, but I can't seem to get downstairs. There's something keeping me from actually getting my makeup on. And uh, he laughed at that. And uh, thought that I was just fucking around. Well, I, I wasn't. I, um, I, 
I, I finally had him come down with me, kind of holding my hand, as it were. And uh, I put on the makeup and I went and I did my job. <laughs> there was one night because we would work until uh, two in the morning and then we would close and we'd do cleanup. Uh, there was one night we were there at three in the morning. We had done our cleanup and me and Charles were sitting uh, in the, uh, in the uh, living room uh, talking. And there was an old clock on the mantel. And it was a beautiful old ornate clock. And it dinged three times. It was dong, dong, dong. And I was like, that's such a cool clock. And mm -hmm. Charles went, that isn't supposed to happen. I said, what, what are you talking about? It's just a beautiful old clock. He goes, pick it up for a second. I picked it up and I turned it around. It was an old clock that had been gutted. It was just there for looks. It was right. just a prop. Right. It had no interior. There was no clockwork inside of it, nor a bell to date. Right. And it went off three times. Mm. So we were experiencing um, poltergeist activity, uh, Claire audience. We were, we were experiencing so many different things mm -hmm. in that place. And here we are supposedly haunting it for fun for the public. Right. Little and do they know. The spirits are getting into it. To a real haunted house. Right, right. And he had no idea when he chose this house that it, yeah, it had no any... idea. It was a house that was up for demolition. So we actually got yeah. to uh, tear out some walls and put in like uh, moving bookcases and everything. Right. Like that. It was brilliant. Right. Absolutely brilliant. But yeah. uh, it's something I'll never forget. Right. And um, it was my second biggest thing that ever happened to me. Right. Until in Toronto. <laughs> 2000, I moved into a mansion. In okay. Toronto. Okay. <sighs> oh, now, I know. Yes. It's a beautiful house, but looks are deceiving, right? Yes. It, it was a large mansion on Lakeshore Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in the uh, area of Mimico in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first night I was there was not to live. It was actually to uh, start fixing the house up and painting it and prepping it before I brought my furniture in. Okay. And I was uh, painting until around three or four in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I had was my, uh, my, my bed spring, not the actual full bed. And mm -hmm. it was just in the, uh, in the bedroom, but nothing else was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was dead tired. It was around four in the morning by the time I had done. Mm -hmm. And I went to lay my head down on the pillow. And as I did, my pillow started whispering to me. I took my head away and the whispering stopped immediately. Mm -hmm. And then I brought my head back down. I took my head away. I, I did this three times. And then I was like, I sat up straight and I said, okay, look, I'm moving in here. And if we're going to cohabitate here together, you're going to have to allow me to sleep and rest mm -hmm. because you don't know my background. Mm -hmm. And if you piss me off, I'm going to smudge the hell out of you. Right. And you won't be a happy ghost. Right, right. <laughs> and so when I basically Evil had my little tetla tet with whatever was whispering through my pillow, mm -hmm. it stopped for that. But did you know that you were moving into a haunted place? Because most of these old places, everybody yes. assumes are haunted, but not well, always necessarily the, the case. The rental price was really low. I was renting okay. the house. I, I, okay. I, of course, I, I'm an artist. I could not afford to buy a mansion. Right. So I, I was renting this house. 
And um, when I when I went for the first day, the very first day that I went, the uh, realtor said, uh, um, we have to knock on the door because the uh, the lady that lives here is still moving things out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knocked on the door. The lady was moving things out, but she um, was also being incarcerated at the same time because she had uh, murdered her husband. Oh. Yes, she had stabbed <laughs> him to, to death. Oh, my. Okay. And so, uh, yeah. That'll leave an imprint in time, won't it? Uh, but what I learned was I was actually renting the house from the mafia. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Good, good quality house. <laughs> and and I, I learned I, I learned about this because uh, there is a book written about the house called Overshadows. Okay. And uh, Overshadows is written by Richard Palmasano, a wonderful parapsychologist who studied the house for nine years. Mm-hmm. And the house was built in 1903 by the mafia. And it ultimately, um, they, they know that in the actual foundations of the house, there are seven bodies mm. in the cement foundation so they can't tear down the house no. uh, to get to these things without ruining the foundations of the house itself right um right. but uh, what i learned was there were tunnels under the mansion mm-hmm. and these tunnels were created specifically to move booze during prohibition right and mm-hmm. uh, ultimately when prohibition was over those tunnels became an illegal abortion clinic Wow. And quite a few women lost their lives uh, oh, because of the uh, fact that the um, the people that were working in it were not really doctors, and mm, uh, right. they, they I don't think they really get, gave a rat's ass about human life. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. And um, so, Richard, so you're living with this melee of of just tumultuous history. Horrifying history. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was told that there was um, in in the master bedroom there was a, a bank of of windows uh, mm-hmm. looking out onto the street, and uh, in, in 1923 uh, another mafia family came driving up with uh, with machine guns and blew out the front windows mm-hmm. trying to kill you know the the, yeah. the family inside. But what they weren't planning on was the fact that this family inside the house just happened to be even more powerful than they were. Mm-hmm. And they came back at them with even more gunpowder and wow. killed them all. Right. And so this all happened right in front of the house. Right. Wow. And this was the master bedroom to which I was in. Now, uh, when I was cleaning the master bedroom, the, everything was hard teak wood. It was gorgeous, just beautiful, beautiful inside, all hand-carved, ornate. Mm-hmm filigree and everything and I was cleaning the uh, windowsills and all that and I knew pretty well every inch of the place by the time I was done plunging mm-hmm. it and um, the next morning when I woke up I uh, I was standing by the front window uh, looking out and I looked down and I saw scratched into the wood at least a quarter inch deep A B C D E F G H I J K L mm. And this was, this was like fresh. This had been done overnight because I had cleaned that area. And I know that there was no writing 
in wood <laughs> uh, on the sill yeah. at all. And my head was right next to it while I slept. So this is even weirder. Oh, so you didn't even hear it either. No, I didn't even wow. hear it. So wow. I contacted a psychic friend and I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you anything about the house right now, but I want you to try and uh, walk through the house and tell me if you feel any uh, hot spots, as it were. Mm-hmm. Well, he went into the place and immediately went into the master bedroom. Like he segued past the parlor, the library and everything else, went straight for the bedroom, mm -hmm. walked up to the windowsill and he goes, is this it? And he points right at the alphabet. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. He said, this, uh, this wasn't here before. And I said, no, it wasn't. He said, uh, and he starts touching it. He puts his hand on it. He goes, this isn't bad. And I said, I don't understand. It's it's creepier than hell. He goes, <laughs> yeah. he goes, no, this isn't bad. He says, I have a feeling this was done by a child. And the child is welcoming you here because it's lonely. Mm. So it was giving me uh, the ability to see that it knew the alphabet. Right. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Well, the house itself um, is horribly haunted, one of the most haunted places in Canada. Mm. And uh, when I say horribly haunted, I mean there was poltergeist activity, there was sprites, there was orbs, there was demonic activity, there was full-bodied apparitions, and there was a thing called a boca. Mm. Now, uh, a boca is a North American Indian term for water demon. And mm. uh, the back of the house outside has a large Celtic cross and shrubbery and a maze. And uh, beyond the maze is a big parking lot to an apartment building complex uh, just beside the, uh, the house on the other side behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, I could see a guy walking to his car uh, behind the house through the, uh, through the maze and everything. Right. And as he was walking, I could see a nine foot tall black figure gliding, not walking like he was, gliding. Mm -hmm behind him and when the guy finally got close to his car this nine foot tall thing went into itself so its bottom and its top met in the center and it completely disappeared hmm. sounds a lot like a shadow being well uh, the the boca is a water demon and so it's like right. i had to do some research on that and right. we discovered that because i was on lake ontario during the second world war at the beginning of the war they were doing uh well, they were doing for the Navy um, water exercises with their big ships. Yes. And uh, one of the ships actually uh, sunk, killing around 250 18 to 20-year-old new Navy men. Oh. And what I've learned is we believe that the Boca is actually all of those angry souls balled together into one large entity that mm -hmm. is now not haunting as much as wanting revenge on the mm. air. And uh, it stays where the house is because it's such a portal for bad energy. The house mm. is just uh, seething. Mm. Like, it's a, it's a horrifying place to be. Mm -hmm. um, I was told before I moved in that you cannot have a relationship in the house because mm -hmm. nobody has had a relationship that's lasted and every relationship has ended in either violence or in a rather dramatic and horrifying way. Wow, that's pretty dire. That's yeah. pretty dire. And nobody has tried to clear this place. 
that you know of, I guess. Wow. Yeah. It's a yeah. tough one. That's a tough one. So they, yet, yet you remained. I'm sorry? <laughs> yet you remained. <laughs> and yet I remained. Well, yeah. uh, they did a, um, a ghostly encounters episode uh, mm -hmm. about what took place when I was there because okay. uh, the episode was called Possession. And uh, uh, in my sixth year, seventh year of living there, I had a relationship with a uh, girl that had come from overseas from uh, Scotland. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, while she was there, she became possessed. Mm -hmm. And now I've, I've dealt with a lot of weird anomalies and, and, and uh, activity in the past, but nothing like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I woke up one night to the fact that my bed was shaking violently. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it was the bed that was shaking, but then I noted when I turned over that it was actually her gyrating on the bed, not in a fun way. Right. <laughs> um, ultimately, right. uh, she, she was doing almost exactly what you saw Linda Blair doing in the movie The Exorcist. She started banging her back against the backboard and then bending over to her knees and then back again and to her knees and back again. And then she finally just got up out of bed walked to the center of the room and started to spin like a whirling dervish. And she went faster and, faster and I could not stop her. She was moving too fast and her arms were out and she was flailing while she was spinning. And you've seen my home. It's filled with precious antiques and relics. Mm -hmm. And so these started flying off the shelves and uh, because her hands were hitting them and everything. And uh, eventually she stopped turning like she was moving really fast and she stopped like on a dime mm -hmm. and she threw her head back and she started to scream, but it wasn't her screaming. It was like there were seven demons, seven men voices coming mm -hmm. from her throat as she screamed upwards. And as she screamed upwards, her head started turning back behind her. And then it was it, the only way we can explain this was it makes no sense. It's like her back broke and she, if her legs are facing this way, mm -hmm. her head went this way and then went down until her head was touching the back of her ankles. Then while she was still screaming upwards, she started to walk with her head dragging on the ground behind her. Oh my gosh. It was impossible, physically mm. impossible. Yeah. I was mortified. I didn't know what the hell to do with myself or her. Mm -hmm. It was horrifying. And I didn't know what to do because at that time I was not as uh, practiced as I am in witchcraft or in understanding how to uh, cleanse a person of uh, this kind of activity. And um, she eventually uh, righted herself and ran into the bathroom, locked herself in, mm -hmm. and everything went silent. And that's where I got scared. Now, mm -hmm. I, I, I thought to myself, okay, there, there's nothing in the bathroom that could be sharp, so we should be okay. But then I heard glass break. And I forgot that we had a coffee cup that the toothbrushes were in. Mm -hmm. She had broken the coffee mug. And it took me a good, I, Jesus, it must have been uh, two or three hours before I could get the door open. And when I finally did, she was on the ground, leaning against the wall. Her, her arm had been cut open, and she'd written on the wall the word die. Mm -hmm. This is not something that you can sit through personally 
and and not be uh, unscathed. I, I, I was I, I I have been since then suffering from PTSD oh and not gosh, yeah. uh, not feeling uh, comfortable in 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 many respects with people in general mm -hmm. because of what took place. It was a horrifying experience. I mm -hmm. sent her back to Scotland immediately because I didn't want this thing to attach itself to her. And I also didn't know what else to do. It had basically kiboshed anything else that we could have done happily together as a couple. Oh, absolutely. And you, um, you don't really, it's not easy to survive something like that. No. Emotionally. And, and, and years later, when I finally did the, uh, the Ghostly Encounters episode, uh, it, it went on TV and uh, she saw it and she, and she said that she doesn't remember any of it and she doesn't believe that it really happened. And okay. that was a huge surprise to me because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, there was a lot of physical evidence and, mm -hmm. and also uh, we had talked before she left about what took place and for, for her not to acknowledge it uh, made me sad. And I'm hoping that there was nothing attached to her At when she time. left. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, because I, I, I mean, I have injuries to her since. Yeah. I mean, you would think that she would have looked at her injuries. She's not the type of person to, to harm herself. It would have been yeah. what caused me to harm myself, what caused this breakup to happen when everything was going so smoothly. Um, but, you know, it, it's not unheard of. I've worked with many families who really, especially over time, they it's like sometimes they'll not remember right away. Other times it fades away and it, it especially dealing with children. I've seen children grow up into, you know, young adults and they're like, don't remember any of it. Well, okay. I, it's a good thing, I think, if, you know, especially if it's such like a horrific thing like you just well, described. It, a defense mechanism of sorts for your mind, yes. But, yeah. you know, I... Uh, well, hypnosis would probably bring it back, but why would... Well, I don't, know if, I, I don't know if I'd want her to relive yeah. it in her mind. I, exactly. I think ultimately that what she went through... Uh, was was absolutely the worst thing anybody could go through and 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 so mm. i i asked you know her her brother if she was prone to any kind of um episodes as it were mm -hmm. and uh, he had said that uh you know she she was very sensitive mm. and you know that she she she, she did have some some problems in that respect. Right. Uh, so she she was susceptible. And mm -hmm. I didn't know this when she came down. And uh, sadly, uh, mm -hmm. it, it was one of those things where it, we, I, uh, in hindsight, I wish I wish that we, ne we never would have gotten together because nobody should have gone through that. No, no, that's pretty horrific um, to say the least. And if she was very sensitive and had, was, prone to certain types of incidents that would make her an easy mark yeah there's a belief that these things go after what's called the weakest link they find the flaw and that's what they prey on because it's it's easy well she know? she wasn't a emotionally strong person that's the one thing that i said from knowing her well, right. she wasn't she wasn't an emotionally strong person right um and, and she did struggle with her own personal demons right um, she, she she had seen a lot in her past that I guess was pretty ugly. 
Um, Do you think something could have followed her back from Scotland and just mixed in with everything in this house? You know, that's something I've never actually been asked about before. I've never even contemplated that. I thought it was yeah. the house because the house had such a nefarious history, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is a possibility. Well, you never had anything like that happen to you before. And how long was she in the house before this event actually occurred? Well, we lived together for around six months. Okay. And uh, that didn't occur until the very last month she was there. So for five mm -hmm. months, um, you know, things were fine. Right. Right. Yeah, I just had to wonder if, if, if there was something in the house that sort of even would give little hints of behavior towards her. Well, I was told that the uh, groundskeeper of the house, when the house was, you know, being run by the mafia back in the 20s, mm -hmm. um, he was a very angry and uh, he, he, he was very, uh, uh, what's the word, misogynic. Uh, right. Uh, he, 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 was, he, he was a very, uh, he hated women. Let's oh, God, I got it. Like, he okay. hated women. Yeah. And right. so he treated he treated the maids and the uh, and, and and the female cooks and all that very poorly. And mm -hmm. he was the groundskeeper, so he felt like he was the person in charge when nobody else was around. Right. And he would make their lives miserable. Right. And um, uh, it is said that some people that knew him while he was alive, uh, he died in the forties. But mm -hmm. I mean, that knew him. Uh, it said that he thought that he really owned that house. It was his mm. because he had put all of his time in that place. So right. it's believed that maybe it's him that stayed and he doesn't want relationships to work. So he frigs with people in such mm. a way that they uh, are basically uh, never happy because mm. nobody has lived in that place and gotten out uh, with a happy relationship. Nobody. And when I left the uh, the uh, the original Diablo Manor, because that's what I called it back then, even right. the, the mansion. Uh, when I left, for four years, nobody moved into it, hmm. not one person. And after the fourth year, they turned it into office uh, office rooms instead of an actual livable a livable space. Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I I knew people who had. I guess there is a hospital nearby, I guess. Or yes, there is. Yeah. Okay. Who had been in that hospital. And they would basically comment on the fact that it, I'm just wondering if the tunnels reach out that far, because they would comment on just how uncomfortable they felt. And it was, the, it was females. It was, yes. it was always women who reported female. about that because through the years, everybody, you know, people message me all the time. Oh, I have a story to tell, you know, and um, I would say, oh, okay. You know, and it was always women whenever in this hospital that would, it would feel like they were constantly being watched, very uneasy. They couldn't mm -hmm. sleep, totally on edge. And it's like, wow. So I'm wondering if it was all one property at the time or if the tunnels come close or, Simply if it's within a bird's eye view, sometimes is all it needs, right? Their spirits are not bound by time or space, you know, mm -hmm. for sure. But going back to what you had said about the groundskeeper, I think it would take a tremendous amount of energy to do something like that to, to a person. Do you think that a human spirit 
could muster up that much energy as opposed to, let's say, more of a dimensional spirit? Well, or, here's the thing. Or I don't believe in ghosts. And okay. so, I, like, Michelle, I'll say that right off the top. I, I'm actually a believer in, um, in quantum theory. I'm saying I'm a big believer and so in Einstein stated energy cannot be created, nor can it be destroyed. And right. so ultimately, because we live on the third dimension, uh, it states in quantum theory that there are many others, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. So okay. as I'm sitting here right now, a freight train could be going right through me and I wouldn't even know it if mm -hmm. I'm not existing on that dimension at that moment. Now, mm -hmm. what I feel is what we're experiencing when we have a ghostly encounter because that's what we're using as humans to kind of like explain away what we're experiencing mm -hmm. is actually an energy form mm -hmm. from a completely different dimensional plane that is playing with us because mm -hmm. it's sentient enough and maybe a lot more smart and powerful than we are as humans mm -hmm. and is cloaking itself in something that we see as uh, normal, such as this Victorian clad, you know, kind of like uh, Victorian spirit, etc., mm -hmm. that you see in, 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 in uh, haunted houses. Mm -hmm. It's, you really have to think about this. What the hell? No, no organic clothing is going to be suddenly appearing on That's a real ghost. One. It makes no sense. That's the but big one. A dimensional character would create like i said this false facade mm -hmm. so that it appears to us as something it's not because it's so overwhelmingly strange what it is mm -hmm. that our minds couldn't process the reality of it unless so it's it a dimensional bleed through because unless it's a dimensional bleed through um, you know realistically speaking there's there's also that theory same idea but that there are different versions of ourselves living simultaneously through all this, these different dimensions, right? Yeah. Doppelgangers, that's an, an example. They just sort of cross over. You've got time travelers. You've got time slips. You've got, there's, there's all kinds of that. Um, because I, I, I agree. I do also have a problem with, you know, for example, you see a child spirit with a bicycle or tricycle. And you're kind of like, how'd you get the bike here? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but could it also be that the energy of the being pro is projecting out what they want people to see? It's not actually what we're seeing. It's that they're projecting out what they want us to see. Yeah. Again, uh, I love we, the theories. I love we, bouncing them around. We have, we have so little understanding of what's yeah. going on on our own planet. Yeah, we, we think because we can feel things and see things that that's what it's really mm -hmm. all about. But our eyes are these little jello things inside of our head. Let's yeah. really talk about that for a second. Yeah. We are just these organic jello molds with mm -hmm. like, you know, hard bones inside of it that make no sense, really. Right. And we are allowing ourselves to think because we're sentient that mm -hmm. our eyes are perfect. Our eyes aren't perfect. We aren't seeing full color spectrum. We mm -hmm. aren't understanding exactly what we are seeing around us or are wise or otherwise because we can't see them half the time. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't it be possible that there are energy beings or other things living on our dimensional plane that we just can't experience because we're just not there yet? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I am I am a firm believer in a lot of that. I guess I love bouncing ideas around, especially with people I haven't bounced them around with before. So it's it's quite interesting to me. There's also, I, I guess it depends on your 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 faith, your your belief system. Right. Because I mean, I always say, you know, to those people of faith, everything is a demon or people or, or things are ghosts. And, you know, to ufologists, they're extraterrestrials, just different species or races, you know, and then you get into the scientific mind of everything and it's quantum stuff and, and things of that nature. But what and is it really? Yeah. And the this is the thing. It's like, I'm not really above. Because you see, um, you, to believe in the devil, you have to be uh, a Christian. You have to believe in God. Because if there's a God, there's a devil in the Bible. Mm. But you see, I don't have a belief system in the Bible, nor do I believe that there's a God or mm. gods. And I don't believe that there's a devil because it's a Christian construct. So you're and full so on science. Our lovely little friend Baphomet here and all that is a lovely idol a right. false one, but an, an idol all the same that can be adored if, or, you know, it or not. be a pagan god. It's a pagan thing, but I'm not That's a pagan. A, I, I'm just a practicing witch, but I deal in energy. That's yes. it. I don't right. pray to a, uh, a certain entity or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a certain goddess or god. Instead, right. I'm dealing only in energies. I believe in the rule of three. Okay. And that is that whatever you put out comes back to you three times. Mm -hmm. So you would never curse anyone because mm -hmm. the universe only hears the curse not the person's name and sends you back that energy threefold who right. wants that right. and ultimately when it comes to anything else in life if you if you're hating on somebody instead of like uh really hating on them what you should be doing is and this is how i work is you're wishing that they can maybe find a way to see their life in a better light as right. as they move forward in time right. Because right. obviously what they're doing is they're projecting and mm. their anger is more of their anger at themselves and their situation, whatever it may be. Right. And so why be angry at them for that? Because it's really not you. They're just projecting onto you. And so uh, I... Uh, Could it be ancestral trauma? Yes, it can be. And yeah. I believe that, you know, we can carry um, ancestral trauma, but we can also carry ancestral greatness. Yes. And I don't, I don't yes. mean in an elite way, but I'm sure that this is where I get my grandfather's uh, yeah. abilities from, because right. I am the only grandchild out of 50 grandchildren that really has this unusual amount of, of uh, strength and ability in the world of production and, and, mm -hmm. and, and creating shows and sculpting and painting. And mm -hmm. it just, it goes infinitum, like my grandfather. Right. And it's like my grandfather. So where does it come from? It has to be coming from him because it certainly isn't just a natural thing. I'm right. not doing this just innately. This is coming from something. Right. Yeah. Like DNA imprinting, you know? Yes. Like we we are really, truly are our ancestors, but in more ways or than more ways and than so just that. Get, you know, more or yeah. less from, from, from their ancestors. So, you know, yeah. you can have, like your, your grandfather could be Hitler. That doesn't mean that you're going to be Hitler. No. You know, that doesn't, no. doesn't, but your grandfather could be Disney. Right. And you could still be a Hitler when you grow up. <laughs> it's true. I agree. You know? I agree. I, I think we, you know, we do have choices as to what we bring forward with us. Um, but to not, believe to be totally scientific because even science is now saying mm, we don't think that 
there is really death. We, we think essence goes on. What is your take when Scott is no longer here? <laughs> what does Scott well, think he's going? <laughs> so like here's, here's what I think. First okay. off, this is this is just me talking. I'm not trying yeah. to. Uh, I'm not trying to project. Ooh, this is just us anybody. I'm not trying to preach here. Yeah, yeah. It's just where you're asking me a personal question. I'm going to give yes, you exactly. a personal answer. Exactly. Um, I believe that I'm two things. Okay. I am an organic life form. Right. And I am being embodied by a secondary life form mm -hmm. that is an energy life form. Right. So without this energy life form, this organic life form cannot work. Correct. And so we're working symbiotically together. Mm. So ultimately, the organic life form has a shelf life. That's right. Of 70 to 90 years. Right. The energy life form is infinite. Right. And so it can go into other organic life forms and have more uh, adventures or mishaps, whatever it might be, mm. uh, over time. And so that's where they get the idea of the old soul. Right. Reincarnation. I, essentially. I don't believe in souls. So this whole right. generational, uh, you know, life form of energy, right, moving, moving forward and forward and forward through these organic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, weird life forms. Because really, think about it. Uh, they, science has proven that when we die, um, our body weight changes as mm -hmm. our energy leaves our body. Isn't that crazy? It's not a huge yeah. amount, but it's enough it's that it can actually be weighed upon. I know. It's pretty and cool so, when you think about it. <laughs> yes. And so yeah. I believe that we are infinite. It's right. just that this corporeal, you know, thing that we live in mm -hmm. has to go because it has a warranty. And exactly. the warranty only lasts a certain amount of time, and then it's done. Exactly. And so use this wonderful meat puppet as well as you can. Right, take or care of it. <laughs> the time that you haven't take care of it because uh, you only get to embody this meat puppet once. That's true. And so, uh, you know, you it's might get true. another meat puppet, but God only knows what it might be. You could be a flea. You could be a, a, a meat puppet inside of a squirrel you know. <laughs> by a cougar. You know, you just don't yeah. know. And, no, you know, you're true. still an energy life form. You're just different, mm -hmm. you know. So it's like we got lucky when we got into these human style right. forms. You yeah, know, well, well, some might say, yeah, lucky. Some people hmm. where the energy goes to. I don't think it has to be human. I think it can actually go into other animals, jellyfish, yeah. whatever the hell it might be. Who knows? Right, so right. It's all hypothesis. And it it's is. also just, you know, it's not really science. It's just we yeah. don't understand death. Mm -hmm. We've been on the planet for what, over 3 million years, and That's we right. still don't understand what happens when we die. No. And we've been struggling with it since we wrote on caves about, mm -hmm. you know, things that, you know, right. were in the darkness beyond right. our little fire. Well, pit. our, our, yeah, this, I always say that we're probably what the third or fourth kick at the can on this planet with re respects to civilization, you know, and most certainly I truly, truly believe that there were advanced civilizations here before, if you take factor in ancient Lemuria and Atlantis or things like that, extraterrestrial beings, perhaps, you know, um, this planet's been around long before us to fathom that nobody or nothing else would inhabit it in all of these millions of years until we arrived. To me, is a little bit unfathomable, um, you know, but I would think that there were much more advanced, just in some of the stuff they're finding, you know, in, in oh, absolutely. 
you know, that they're definitely far more advanced than what we are. But for our civilization, no, I think you're bang on with that. I just don't think we get it at all. No. Though, or they do, if they do, you, you have a certain group of people who may, and we're not made privy to it. Us lowly folks. <laughs> Which is fine. The thing is, it's like, I just don't, you know. I don't believe for a minute that we really have an angle as no. to what's really going on out there. Even right. while we live on the planet, right. we just don't understand our real reality. Because here's no. the thing. Correct. Each one of us can go to Disneyland, but each one of us is going to walk away with a different memory yes. because we live in our heads. Hmm. So what I've experienced is not what you're going to experience there. So as mm -hmm. much as we go through the, um, the Haunted Mansion or the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, mm -hmm. you're going to see things differently than I. You're going to feel things differently than I. And you're mm -hmm. going to want to experience it for different reasons than I do. Right. Because when I go through the Haunted Mansion or the Pirates of the Caribbean, I, even at the age of 11, was thinking as a producer, I was going, well, how did they make the animatronics work so we didn't hear them? How did they make this music sound so good, no matter where we were in the ride? How did they do right. this? How did they do this? Whereas other people are going, wow, this is really cool. Those, those pirates look really real, instead of it's like, true. no, the way I think. So everybody's got their own way of thinking. Exactly. And um, that means our realities are completely different. You go mm -hmm. out with a person for 10 years, they're going to have a completely different uh, idea of what the relationship was about than you will. Absolutely. Because they aren't in your head. That's right. You no? Know? That's right. So you believe that we can manifest our own realities then? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the best control. thing about what we're doing right now on this planet is we are capable yes of right. manifesting our own realities. And right. so if more people came together and actually started talking about positive ways of influencing the planet, not through cults or anything like that, but just collectively trying to fix the problems that we've created as this creature we call human, mm -hmm. we might be able to clean the planet up a bit because we are getting close to a devastating event otherwise. And right. uh, it, I, think, I think it takes a bit more sentience Mm -hmm. before we can get there. And and, that, and then when we can actually sit down with each other and go, we're all experiencing this problem that's external, mm -hmm. but we're making it happen. So we've got to get our shit together together mm -hmm. right. and talk to each other. Instead yes. of you going, well, you know, I can fix it over here, but Joe over here is going to be doing this terrible thing with his uh, like large diesel engines. And right. uh, Larry over there is going to be doing this thing with his big oil monster. There's got to uh, be unison. In other words. So it's like nobody's yeah. talking to each other. Right. And the big oil companies are saying, we want you to use oil only because otherwise we don't make money. Right. We don't care about the environment. We don't care what's going to right. happen to this planet. We just want your money. Right. And so... There has been electric cars since 1903. Oh, some, I read an article, 1800s, with alternative, you know, steam engines, all kinds of things. And yet, yeah. here we are, still using oil mm -hmm. and gas. Mm -hmm. It's frightening mm -hmm. what money does to people. It's, it's primitive. I think, you, you, I definitely agree with you, there needs to be... I think we all need to become aware. We need to keep evolving. And along with that evolution of awareness, we need to start accepting change. Because Absolutely. I think people fear change. 
people well, everybody, everybody sure. wants to be complacent and just sit in their little happy hey, change place. can be scary for some folks right well change is scary to most yeah. folks yeah let's face it but yeah. it is a much needed process to grow it 100 100 and to become better mm -hmm. otherwise you stagnate and stagnation leads to cancerous death mm -hmm. of society mm -hmm. right well, oh no what happened there <laughs> i won't move the screen started doing something wonky i know i i do agree i do agree and we live in you know as scary of a time as many people think it's also a time of wonderment because there are i'm a big believer in magic in many ways i really am i believe that somewhere along the lines we forgot to embrace that child and to open ourselves up to all these amazing things that are hidden in plain sight but that's a choice. Mm. And so if more people could just understand that they can choose to think like a child without mm -hmm. being stupid, right. just think like a child, right. they could enjoy life again. Right. I choose to think like a child. Yes. I always see the wonder in everything. I wake up in the morning and I try and sing something new in a room that I've already been in because right. I want to see it with new eyes. Right. That's a very good perspective it is to 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 do that because you so many people have the same you know i i live in a wonderful place you do. It's, it's amazing you know there's always something different to look at because I, I love history so i always tend to have my eyes drawn to architecture and i go right oh, i like to touch it and just oh, i wonder what this with this person try to pick up on the energy the person who who built let's say the specific column or the piece of furniture that was all hand carved you could just imagine the person who who took the time to carve it and put their energy and their love and their pride into it those are things that i look for you yeah. know so i don't know but i think there are things um getting back to the paranormal a little bit there are people who want, they find that wonderment in something like the paranormal. It's like they're looking for, for that unexplained thing to happen to them, to just show them that there are things that we can't see. I guess in a way it is embracing it a little bit like a child, that looking for that wonderment. And I find because being in the field for a couple of decades and doing many tours and, and visiting many places throughout the world. It's something that seems to bring people together. It was always interesting to me to see all people from all walks of life coming on on tours. I'm sure you go through the same thing with your establishment and just seeing them anticipating what's going to happen. Will anything happen? They want to hear that scary story. In a way, it's it's interesting that they want to be scared, but they don't. You know what I mean? It's like, you know. Well, this is the thing. Um, we originally were an animal that was created into small tribes. And these tribes would gather because there was safety in numbers. Mm 
Yes. The safety in numbers uh, created a camaraderie. And so at the end of a hunting day, hundreds of thousands of years ago, mm. these primitives, as it were, would tell stories of their hunt and they would tell stories of the day. And it, this carried on through the Middle Ages and everything where there was grand stories being told and some became very whimsical and mythological with right. sea serpents and monsters, right. yada, yada. And so yeah. ultimately, here we are in the 21st century and what are people doing? Oh, yes. They have forgotten how to tell a story. Yes. And so they are now tied into a piece of plastic and metal Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with any reality except for the fact that it's got algorithms that mm -hmm. are basically feeding an addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are losing the ability to tell story. So right. I created the Diablo Manor mm -hmm. as an attraction where it's fully immersive. And over the period of two and a half hours, you enter and it begins with a story of many of the grand artifacts inside of the manor. And right. then it goes on to a sumptuous meal. And from the right. meal, you go into the parlor and you experience a magic show as an M-I-G-I-C-K, right. which ends with a seance. Ooh. And so you end up dealing in mysticism and things that you never thought about as a 21st century person. Right. And you leave suddenly wanting to tell the story of what took place to you, mm -hmm. your friends, now. Right story is being propagated again. And so this is my only real way of leaving a small dent in the world before I pass. Mm -hmm. And that is to help bring back the story. For I am the shaman and you are my tribe. Right. I love it. I love it. And it's, you know, not all that long ago, because 100 years really on a grand scheme of things really isn't that that long ago, considering you know, the history of our civilization, but the Victorians oh. loved storytelling, picnic in the cemetery, sending out macabre poetic, exactly, about death and what was yeah. out there. And, and they were very whimsical because they believed in the mediums of a time period. They wanted to go to seances. They wanted to experience the yes. unknown. And Mary Shelley at the tender age of 17 was taking mushrooms to write a story uh, <laughs> with, you know, all of her friends on a summer, you know, evening mm -hmm. to uh, basically titillate and delight each other. And it ends up becoming this phantasmorical story that's lasted for ages. Yes. And this yes. is the beautiful thing about the Victorian time period, which I emulate. You can tell because yes. I actually dress like this more times than not. Right. And my lifestyle, my home and everything <laughs> is, is that. So I don't right. have to go out into the real world because, well, the real world kind of sucks. And deal with the real stuff only when you have to. Right. I you know. know. I, go to I McDonald's if you need to. Go and get some groceries. Get home as quick as you can and immerse right. yourself back in your own reality, whatever that might be. And if right. it means knitting kittens, uh, you know, on sweaters, <laughs> let that be that. If it means right. painting flowers, let it be that. If it means sculpting or painting horrible demons and monsters let it be that let so it's it like ultimately you mm -hmm. create your own world right right no i think i i think it's wonderful because i am one of those old souls i love i still love to picnic in cemeteries i still love 
you know, with the, like seances and I still, I, everything it embodies because it, I just find that it was a time where it was a simpler time. It was a harder time also. It was a harder you, time. You we know. can't get past that, you know. No, uh, for sure. Victorian England stunk. There was no proper plumbing. So there was shit in the streets. You it's know, true. the smell of piss everywhere. Yeah. Um, we, we we think of it without thinking of the smells. Mm -hmm. It must have stunk back then. Sure. And, uh, th yet, uh, and, and, and they would layer perfume on top of perfume to kind of get rid of the stink. Mm -hmm. And they would wear talcum powder on their face over their uh, dirt. And yes. to kind of like get rid of it because it wasn't about washing, it was about covering it up. I know. You know? <laughs> Different times for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I love how, you know, you mentioned basically in London, I love the eras and looking at how the different countries, you know, how different they all were Absolutely. during this time period. And the one thing that, that, that stays the same, of course, was again, the, the, the interest. It's funny how you have some people who just will not even embrace, you know, that there is, there is more out there. And I, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from a paranormal standpoint, but also, also ufology, I guess everything that is deemed supernatural how some people just will not put their heads there my father for the longest time would just say mm, no but in his later years i found out not only did he have many experiences he was also very gifted he just refused to address it whereas on my mother's side they were you know everybody saw dead people everybody talked to them everybody was open about it sure thing. and my father was like, no, the house is settling. There's nothing more than that. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure something just came out of that wall. No. <laughs> All right. So, you know, I think it's, again, it just comes back to, to having an open mind and Agreed. working around certain belief systems. So what would you say to somebody who comes in as, you know, being, you know, skeptical, you always have, have, you know, that, that one woman who's dragging her boyfriend over or vice versa. We're going to do something really spectacular tonight. We're going to Diablo Manor. Well, you know, I'll tell you people who are like, no. 30% of the people that come to the Diablo Manor come not only as skeptics, but oh. come completely like unaware of what they're walking into. So they don't have the right expectation of right. you know the the gothic people and the people that are into victoriana right. they right. instead have no expectation it's like we're going to mcdonald's but there's going to be this guy going to tell you a story that's what they're thinking it's like right. uh, how stupid is this going to be you know right. instead it's like when they walk in it becomes immersive when you enter the front door right because there's a waiting room and the evening does not start until 7 p.m. on the nose, and I am watching the clock. So if right. you get there at 15 to 7 and start knocking on my inner door, nobody is going to answer. And mm. so you start to sit with yourself in the waiting room. And the more you sit, the more you start to think, and the more you start to worry. And the more you start to think that maybe this wasn't the night that you had booked. And then it's like <laughs> when the door finally does open, and the person that welcomes you to the Diablo Manor, which is me, um, is otherworldly. 
Right. Then right. everything falls apart in their head. And I have them in the first 10 minutes. It doesn't matter who they are. They can right. be, uh, three nights ago, we had a, a, a six foot seven tall policeman come oh. with his wife. Oh. This guy was a monster. He was huge. And I had him eating out of the uh, out of my hand by the 15 minute mark. Oh. And okay. yeah. Was, and, he, and, was and, he receptive or was he sort no, of No, well of course not. Skeptical. He had he had the the uh, the police stare and frown. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, because he was trying to intimidate the host. Right. Right. Because I'm very intimidating as this Victorian man. Right. And right. the thing is, is I don't intimidate. I, right. It's impossible because my character, I I am Nikolai Diablo when, when you come in. And Nikolai right. Diablo is the devil. Who right. the hell historically is going to believe that the devil would be scared of anybody? Right. And so it's like, I, I, I'm thinking that way while I'm playing with these people. Right. But... The thing is, is what you experience when I bring you in is so powerful. And I come across as such an entity of strength and power. You lose sight of all the intimidation things that you're thinking of doing to me. Right. And you completely <laughs> fall into a complacent mode. Right. And after 15 minutes, this guy was giggling and chortling and actually acting like a 15-year-old kid. Right. Because I he couldn't it. help himself. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And then for the rest of the evening, I had him. He was like right. totally on my side. He actually wanted to, you know, be a part of whatever I was doing. And uh, by the end of the evening, we were we were actually waxing poetic about life and everything as like we were buddies for 10 years. I love it. And and that is really what it's all about. For me, it's creating a camaraderie with everybody that enters so right. that they do not feel that they have to put on any airs because... I've got enough airs for everyone, you know, and yeah. uh, ultimately my airs are actually quite fun because I'm not trying to be standoffish. I'm not right. trying to make them feel that, you know, uh, they can't get to know me. They'll never mm -hmm. get to know Scott McClellan, but they will get to know this fascinating and fun character that is mm -hmm. the showman that comes from this family of showmen, because right. that's a reality. My grandfather was a showman when he was around people. When he was around me, he was my grandfather. Right, Again, of course. It's perception. Right, of you course. Know. He of said course. to me at a very early age, before I even became a producer and entertainer back when I was 11, this is like when in 77, he said to me, 75 was when I was 11 years old, by the way. He said to me in 1975, he said, Scott, you have to dress like a showman. You must dress up because then when people see you, they will visually understand that you are not them. You are right. not a conformist. You are a showman. And so as they learn that you are a producer of entertainments, mm -hmm. they will see you as something special, which mm -hmm. you need to use as your hook to get more work. Right. If you do not come across as having a special trait, they won't be right. interested in you. And I never forgot that. And so, right. yes, I'm afraid it's true that... Mm -hmm you know, first impressions are important. Oh, I agree. I agree. You have to, I guess, live your persona. You you can't just... You cannot just take it off. Switch. You know? no, no, no. 
Now, when you created your character and you and you created this the, the whole theme, like your the whole interior of what is Diablo Manor, um, I know when I decorate, I, I took parts of the world that I had visited that stuck out with me, or you know, I always say I leave a piece of myself and bring something back. How how was it for you when you were planning all this and putting this decor together? And this is who I'm going to be and represent. And well, as um, as people will see when they come to the Diablo Manor, it, it is a reflection of my family's career. So there is a lot of freak show paraphernalia from my grandfather's estate. There are large circus sideshow banners in the house, uh, mm -hmm. ornate Victoriana that depicting things like Baphomet and mm -hmm. the, the kitsch of the Victorian time period and the love for the occult that uh, the Victorians had, because uh, as much as I am an occultist, I'm not a uh, person that, again, believes mm -hmm. in a god or a devil. Right. And so my ideas of magic, because I do believe in magic and I do yes. use magic, my, yes. my beliefs in magic are all based on energy transference. Okay. And ritual becomes a way of doing energy transference and making it even more important by making the ritual the thing mm -hmm. that puts the energy in its place. Right. And so I don't see a ritual as having to be performed with a black candle or a white candle. I mm -hmm. see the fact that you're lighting the candle as being the ritual. Right. The intent going into the lighting of that candle is the importance of it. Right. The writing of the note before it's burnt in the candle is the important thing, not the fact that you're, you know, uh, using a certain type of frankincense and then mm -hmm. you have, uh, you know, uh, created some kind of weird spell on paper. None of these things really matter. It's the intent of whatever you're doing. And it can be simple. Mm -hmm. And so my my moon rituals and everything that I do are mm -hmm. uh, very personal. Mm -hmm. And I make moon water and I do, you know, all, all, all of the things that certain, I'm a kitchen witch. I really do enjoy uh, creating spells <laughs> and everything with, uh, yeah. with herbs yeah. and spices and everything mm -hmm. nices, as it were. Because yeah. as they say, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Well, Ooh. I'm a good witch. And right. I, uh, I'm very proud right. of the fact, even though I come across as a very dark man, mm -hmm. I, um, I, I only play the devil. I'm not the devil. So right, right. I think that's that's really big. A lot of people um, have those those perceptions. I mean, I've, for years, people have nicknamed me the Queen of the Dark Realm, and I and I laugh because I work with dark energies, you know, to right. usually to remove them and to assist people. But I'm really more of a light worker. <laughs> so, so it's just kind of like, well, thank you for the title, but I don't think it really yeah. applies. But it's just what people see, and and that's what they you know they perceive. Well, so, the, the lay public, the muggles, will have words for the us. Muggles, I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I have no problem with that because they've mm. never lived the lives that we live, and so right. ultimately, let them think the way they want to think because that's creating yeah. a reality that even makes it more fascinating in the long run. Oh, it is. They do. I'm not love. going to tell love them back to stop talking. Right. Do your thing. If you're a yes. Christian, you think that, you know, you've got to cross yourself before you uh, walk past mm -hmm. my home. Do your thing. You right. know, it helps me out in the long run because that's a fable. Right. That's not my reality. Right. But I like a good story. So thank absolutely. you for it. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I, I agree with you also on um, 
the intention of everything because I try to do this even when people ask me, how do I clear my home? Even if it's just to, you know, everyday baggage, if you don't cleanse your space, that it gets heavy and it stays. We all have bad days and those bad days, sometimes that energy just remains. And I always say it's not about the act, just the act of the cleansing and whatever method you choose to use. It's about the intention of the cleansing itself. And it is the power behind the words that you use in order to achieve what it is you want to achieve. Everything else is but emotion. That's it. Right. So. And the nice thing about witchcraft is it's not a religion. No. It's personal. And so you can create your own rituals. You don't have to buy a book on witchcraft and read it to get right. the ideas. You right. can say to yourself, if you've never picked up a book on Wicca or mm -hmm. on paganism or witchcraft, you can say mm -hmm. to yourself, I'm going to do a ritual. And you make up your own ritual. And guess what? It works. Why? Because it's intention. And mm -hmm. that's all that a spell is about, is mm -hmm. intent. Right. Right. I am going to have to do a very quick uh, station and sponsor ID. Uh, you guys are listening to the Outer Realm Radio here on the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, and 105.3 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. Our guest tonight is Mr. Scott McClellan of Diablo Manor, who has just been um, so gracious with his time and telling us about his paranormal experiences and his life and Diablo Manor, which Hey, people, it is open. It's spooky month. And he's going to get into all of that next. So thank you. Thank you. I uh, want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Folgers Coffee, uh, again, who have been with us forever and ever. So thank you, Folgers. We love and appreciate you. And Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, Justin Snicker, who is a I guess he's responsible for our intro and our outro, and he is an award-winning composer of Halloween horror, sci-fi, dark wave, electronic music. You can find it anywhere. He's got a lot of new music coming out just this month, so please go and check him out. You guys are going to love it, and I don't want to be a harpy, but everybody, you know, get me in my Folgers commercials. We play them. We really do. We play them. Good way to advertise yourselves, and it's a great way to stay with millions of people listening never goes away always in the archives so think about that <laughs> so we are back with scott mcclellan so um diablo manor how is this like a year-long thing is is this open year long is it just for spooky month talk to no her. it's it? actually a uh it, it is an attraction that's opened all year round so Ooh. uh as i call it hello month Oh, nice. Halloween is uh, <laughs> is a time period where people start getting into spooky mode. They like they, they like to do the Halloween thing because it's their way because they are muggles to actually get to dress up and put on makeup and be something that they are not. Right. Now, for me, every day is Halloween. And so ultimately, uh, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, we are right. open. And we are open every Friday and Saturday night mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. You have to book online. You cannot just come here. Right. And the evening is a fully immersive evening. You don't come for 10 or 15 minutes and leave. Right. You're here for around two and a half hours, and it comes with a meal. Right. And so it is really special because, uh, again, uh, I'm taking all of my knowledge of 44 years as a producer of horror 
and stage production and putting it into an evening that is rather whimsical, rather Wonderland-like, and mm. uh, rather sinister, as it mm. were. And so <laughs> there is a lovely feeling and ambiance that perme permeates this uh, lovely place called right. the Diablo Manor when you enter it. And you forget you are in Canada. You feel like you're in Europe when it wow. starts. It's okay. that powerful. Yes. Okay, excellent. And you also have a new, is it a toy line, a gift shop? Why don't you tell I us do. About that? Oh, my. <laughs> yes. It's called the Devil's Toy Shop. Now, as a, um, a sculptor and a painter and a uh, creator of art, I have started my own toy line. And it's based on Alice in Wonderland Ooh. and my love of horror. So I've amalgamated the two. And now you can buy things like my, uh, well, my mutant Cheshire cat, uh, okay. my Dumpty, which is my demonic Humpty Dumpty. Um, I've got uh, lovely portraits and everything of the Mad Hatter and uh, the Queen of Hearts, all for the head, and things yeah, like that. I love to it. <laughs> and then I have another love, which is a little more kitschy, of the retro Halloween time period of the 60s. And so I've created... Um, Halloween masks, handmade, Ooh. of uh, famous monsters such as Frankenstein and Ooh. things like that. And um, and they're hand-painted. And they're hand-painted, but they're also, they're vacuum-formed plastic over molds that I've created myself. And mm -hmm. so they are made by me. And they're cut out by me. Uh, like, the whole process is all hand-done, uh, wow. except for the vacuum-formed plastic, which is still an old-fashioned process compared to what they do in big manufacturing companies these oh, days. it is. It is. And um, so if you go to devilstoyshop.com, mm -hmm. you can actually uh, take a look at what I have uh, to sell you. And uh, speaking of which, uh, I have been working for since 1984 on a character named Dr. Rigormorto. And Dr. Rigormorto is an homage to my love for the Munsters, the Adams Family, Hilarious House of Frightenstein, H.R. Puffin stuff, and so much more. And so mm -hmm. I'm taking all of those memories and creating a completely new world called mm -hmm. the Dr. Rigormorto Show. And Dr. Rigamorto is the classic 1950s villain, uh, very garish and outrageous, but it's all makeup and, and craziness. There's puppets, there's animation. We're going to be trying to sell the show to hopefully Netflix or Warner TV or even Shudder. But um, right. we are working on a pilot right now. And uh, as a precursor, I have created my very first book, which is a Dr. Rigamorto activity book. And oh. this is an adult activity book I love that will it. remind you of your childhood in a horrifyingly sinister way. I love it. <laughs> and so you it. can buy this at the Devil's Toy Shop. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, I'm building on my, uh, my toy line as we get closer to Christmas also. So there's going to be more things, Krampus dolls, et cetera, et cetera, that will be for sale, all handmade by me, not mass produced. Mm -hmm. So that you can actually enjoy a uh, piece of art that is also something you can carry with you proudly as your mm -hmm. little mascot in your car or to even meetings if you'd like. Because right. so, <laughs> no two will be alike. Handmade no, means impossible. never. Impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
I think that's exciting. So th this this film, um, you're you're basically or this production you're getting ready to to put forward. Um, are you hoping this is going to become a series? Is this going yes. to become a short film? We, no, it's not a film at all. It's actually a TV series, nice. and so it will be a horror sitcom like in the 1950s. Oh, and okay. uh, we are still toying with the idea that it will maybe be in black and white, or Ooh. it may be in technicolor which mm -hmm. means remember in the 1960s and early 50s the colors in technicolor film were mm -hmm. very off kind of yes. pastel-y yes. didn't quite look right we yes. might actually film the show in technicolor which it would be lovely it would. and it uh, would. yeah and so Th this idea and and you can find out more about it uh if you go to the devil's toy shop.com right. And right. you can also uh, look up Dr. Rigor Mordo on the mm -hmm. internet. Because seven years ago, we created a pilot episode for the show originally. And my sidekick at the time that we had uh, employed to play the uh, character that worked with Dr. Rigor Mordo mm -hmm. was Michael Roberts. And okay. Michael Roberts was the gentleman that played Uncle Fester on the new Adams family. Oh, wow. Okay. That's fantastic. And, uh, it was such a treat working with him. He was an old friend of mine. And um, he played my uh, sidekick Humphrey, which was my uh, Igor type character. Uh, sadly, Michael passed away two years ago of a heart attack. So we lost him. And uh, it, it kind of changed my want or need to do the show for a while. And so um, it wasn't until this past six months I decided to get back on the uh, dilapidated old horse and uh, try again. But I didn't want to replace Michael as that character. And so what we've done is I've invented a new character sidekick for Dr. Rigamorto that is a seven and a half foot tall troll monster. No, oh, geez. That's a, that's a big that's a big difference. Yes. <laughs> big character type. Absolutely. Well, I didn't I, I didn't want somebody to try and uh, replace or copy Michael. And no. so I thought, what better way to do this than to actually have a great big puppet, the troll monster. And right. so uh, that's my new sidekick that we'll be introducing in February. Right. Wow. I am really looking forward to that. That's going to be fantastic. I mean, we all grew up loving Adam Stanley Munsters. I used oh. to call, you know, Monsters, my TV family. I still do when I'll post something about them. Butch Patrick has been on the show for a little bit. And I love, grew up to Hilarious House of Frankenstein. We, we have been lucky enough to talk with Butch Patrick. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to jinx this. Oh, course, but Butch yeah. has already said that he would be interested in doing a character yeah. on the show. Oh, and yeah, so he's wonderful. As long as we get the show picked up, he said he'd be interested in working with us. Because he loves the idea of a new horror sitcom yeah i know i i love it i think it would be great i mean he's he's you know he's the face of the monsters now for darn sure and mitch markowitz hilarious house of fright sign he's been met. on the show he's a personal friend i love him Wonderful. um but who understands that more the whole spoofiness of all of it and these are a type of shows that were just they're just long gone i know they just don't make them anymore like this and they will if yeah. i have it my way we will bring back mm -hmm. the Dr. Rigor Mortar show as the new monsters, as the new Adams family, as the new hilarious House of Frankenstein, so that right. this next generation of kids can get excited about yeah. garish monster characters all over again. Right. And then you just have people like us as adults. <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> this well, is the result of that era. Graphically, that a lot of people 40 plus are going to be glomming onto the show because of the, uh, yeah. the childhood factor of their memory. Oh, yeah. Of oh, being yeah. Dead, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Just takes you back. I, for one, would definitely, uh, you know, promote it, watch it, enjoy it, all of the above. So, but wow, it's really been awesome to have you on. Um, anything else that you want to put out there for everybody to to hear? Anything else you have coming up or? Well, ultimately, uh, as, as it is, we are in the middle of Hello Month. So the Diablo Manor has booked up pretty solid, but we do have a few nights that are half open. In other words, there's still room for two more couples for a night here or a night there. So oh. if you go to DiabloManor.com and you're interested, you can go there. It'll take you to the ticket site, which will show you uh, where you can actually get your tickets and also how many tickets are left. You'll want to celebrate Halloween here. Bar none, there's nothing like it anywhere on the planet. And then understand that if you do like the creepiness of the Diablo Manor, we are moving into mid-November into our Victorian Christmas. Oh, very nice. And very the whole nice. manor becomes a haunting Victorian Christmas. And wow. uh, it ends as an evening because I'm world famous for this. I end the evening by doing my stage version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, I am employed by the Dr. Seuss Foundation to actually tell the story at places like Castle Loma, and I have been backed up musically by the Bare Naked Ladies in the past while doing this story. Very nice. And so ultimately, I'm famous for doing this in front of thousands of people all over North America. I performed it at Christmas Wonderland in Florida for six months straight. And oh, wow. ultimately, I'm very proud of the uh, production itself, and I will be doing it starting November 15th, here at the Diablo Manor until December 20th. And this will be our Victorian Christmas time period. So if you are delighted with the idea of having a horrifying Christmas, come to the Diablo Manor. You'll not regret it. Trust me on that. I love it. I love it. I love it. God, if I wasn't in the middle of a move, I'd do it. <laughs> I'm hoping oh, to be I totally understand. moved by then. <laughs> so, but definitely, this is. I'm definitely going to be checking out Diablo Manor because I'm. I'm. I'm enthralled. I'm completely enthralled with the whole, the whole persona, of your character, and of course, as a lover of, just old, unique homes and locations i think i'll be getting the best of both worlds so i absolutely yes. am looking forward to it so we are pretty much now at the end of the segment and i really want to thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing all of your stories um I, i'm always just so amazed and I, I love your family's history i think it is just thank phenomenal you. it has definitely brought the whole the whole midway thing we growing up and loving everything about it and you just now i can look at things and go i know where this comes from i know where this comes from and there's a lot more unique you guys have to watch the very first archive to find out about a lot of other things that your grandfather was responsible for in your family and just phenomenal um tales that you had to tell and you know the heartbreaking tale of your your paranormal story i also did um 
um, an episode with Ghostly Encounters, and they're pretty emotional shows that go on there, the stories. Um, and I'm definitely going to look yours up because those those go. That's a way back machine. I know for me when I did it. So um, I it's on Prime right now. Oh, I've is actually, it? Uh, I went to Prime and I discovered that they do have Ghostly Encounters, the season that I'm on, and oh, it's okay. called Possession. It's season three. Okay, guys, so go and look it up because I'm sure you're going to have all kinds of people like really interested. And of course, you know, we feel for you and for her as well. It's a terrible thing to go through. And I know I work with many families who go through this and I see many families break up and then I see some who stand together. So it's, it's always a very personal experience. So thank you very much for sharing it with us. And I hope you have a spooktacular season, shall we say. <laughs> Ah, thank you. And from me to all of you, happy haunting. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And good night, Scott. Good night. Well, everyone, we've come to the end of another fantastic segment of The Outer Realm. Big thank you to our special guest, Scott McClellan. Big thank you to Folgers Coffee. Huge thank you to Dr. Snick, Justin Snicker. If you want to contact us, please do so at theouterrealmcontact at gmail.com. I get simply too many messages via social media. It's just too hard to keep up with. So I know Amelia is much the same. So please, theouterrealmcontact at gmail.com. Wherever you watch the show, please subscribe, join, like, follow, whatever the case may be. We appreciate you all so much for supporting us. So thank you. Next week, new to the Outer Realm, will be John Kachuba. And I really hope I did not pulverize his name. I apologize if I did. He's going to be discussing his book, Shapeshifters, A History. And it looks super interesting, and he's super knowledgeable, so you're not going to want to miss that. Thursday night, we welcome back Mark Ollie, all the way from the UK. He's going to be discussing witches and vampires and so much more. He is a wealth of information, and we have him booked several times over the course of 2023, and um, he's going to be sharing those stories with us. So thank you very much. Everybody have a fantastic weekend, and good night.